One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Jan Wong, author, journalist, teacher, etc. Welcome back to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. Thanks. I like the etc. part the best. Lots of stuff. It's, it's carrying a lot of weight, the etc. Today, Jan, what about the third Michael? How come no one's talking about him? Or the fourth or the fifth. There are just <laughs> so many Michaels to contend with. Uh, Maxime Bernier wants to play dirty. What the hell does that mean? Hmm. We'll get into it. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Brent Scriver, Alan Baycroft, Darren Dixon, Robin Fitzsimmons, Seth Oldham, Nick Taylor, Anne McDonnell, and Noam. Hi, I'm Noam. I'm a seamstress from Montreal, and I support Canada Land because it's helped give me a critical understanding of the news that's making the headlines, while also covering the things that are underreported and underinvestigated. I particularly loved the Thunder Bay series, as well as the common seasons on long-term care and the police, and I'm hoping for more great investigative series like that in the future. So, Jan, I read a news story. I read a piece uh, from the Global Times the other day. Big news, as conveyed by the Global Times, Chinese state media. Exclusive story from the Global Times. Two Canadians confess guilt, granted bail for medical reasons before leaving China. That's so nice of China. Even though these guys copped to some guilt, they took mercy on them 
for medical reasons and let them leave. That That's very kind. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting how the story was fully written and just released, right? They, they did that on deadline. Sure. Let's hear, by way of contrast, how the Canadian media covered this story. A surprise announcement on a Friday night. News the country had been waiting for. Right now, this Friday night, uh, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor are on a plane and they're coming home. Welcome home! A reunion 1,020 days in the making. The two Canadians embraced by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau after touching down in Spavor's hometown of Calgary. You see there Michael Spavor waving to supporters after departing from the plane that brought him and Michael Kovrig back from China. Oh, the sweet taste of freedom. And that's exactly what Michael Kovrig experienced right here. Jan, further Canadian coverage told a story of how Meng admitted wrongdoing and was uh, sort of, you know, uh, an, an act of Canadian, I guess, I'm not going to say heroism or mercy, but it was a good play uh, as, pre- as presented by the media that like, you know, we did well here. We got something out of it. She admitted wrongdoing. And, the, and then we did the reasonable thing and sent her back. And this is a, a, a great day for Canada. And it made me wonder, like, we can laugh at Chinese state media uh, at how they twist this and how propagandistic and how flag waving their coverage of this is. I don't know. Was our media coverage of this any different? It's kind of being played as as a big win. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we won. I think we fell into the same Chinese trope. Our reporting was very jingoistic and self-congratulatory. And really, it was a pretty sorry day for Canadian diplomacy. I mean, we come out of this not to minimize that these two individuals uh, who might have been, you know, executed or kept in prison for years or their lives, it's a big deal that they came home. And and certainly the coverage has focused on the human drama of them getting their freedom and reuniting with their families, which is wonderful and great. But like, where are we after this? Like, after all Mm -hmm. this time of saying, we're not going to do a prisoner swap. We're not going to play this medieval game with China where like, we'll trade you yours for two of ours. It seems like we kind of ultimately did, right? Yes, we definitely did. And what I find really interesting is I didn't expect the two Michaels to be released simultaneously, actually 10 minutes later, because China always has to have the upper hand. But I didn't expect it to be so fast. So then I was thinking about what does this mean? Is this a victory for Canada? No, actually, it's a victory for China. And what kind of victory is it? It's a victory like We don't give a crap what you guys think of us. We told you it's not a prisoner swap. We told you it wasn't hostage diplomacy. But you know what? It is. And you can just suck that up. That's what I think happened with this simultaneous transfer. I think the Chinese really want to rub it in that they can flout international norms and they don't care. So that was really interesting to me. I think if this had happened maybe 10 years ago, China would have kept up the pretense that this wasn't hostage diplomacy and they would have kept the Michaels a little bit longer. But this idea that they were both on planes at the same time and Meng Wanzhou's plane took off and then 10 minutes later, the Michaels plane got the green light to leave China. It was so blatant. It is so in your face. So I think it's a real, it's really shows how uh, weak the West is, not just Canada, but the West in coping with this new, very powerful China. 
You were not the only one who thought that for appearance's sake, China would try to put some space between men going home and, and the Michaels coming back to Canada. Here's what crack Globe and Mail reporter Robert Fife said on CTV right after Meng's release. The Chinese are unlikely to immediately release the two Michaels uh, because they've made the case that the Meng Wanzhou uh, case and the, the, the charges against the two Michaels are not connected, even though, of course, they are. So uh, if you go look at the, what's happened in the past with the Garrets, for example, it took about two months before they were uh, uh, freed. So I, I think we're anywhere from the end of October until perhaps November. Let's hope it's sooner. Uh, you know, Fife's right about a lot of stuff. You can't be right about everything. Well, I'm wrong, too. And it's significant that they were released simultaneously because it means China doesn't care at all what you think anymore. We've reached a new stage in Chinese international behavior. That's the takeaway I took was that it wasn't necessarily about them like trying to rub it in. Like, I'm like, well, what if it's just indifference? What if like keeping up the appearance that this was legitimate? You know, who cares what Canadians think? Well, I think it is significant. It is significant. They would not have done this before. They would have tried to go along with the charade that this was separate incidents. And then somebody at the very highest level said, no, we're going to show them that we do whatever we want. So I do think it's a new deepening of China's uh, muscle flexing. And it's bad news. Yeah, it's, it's like, it, it's about America. It's about look what we can do to your little friend and we don't right. give a fuck. It's, it's, right. it's, it's a vulgar display of power. That's right. Um, that's a weird moment for Trudeau and for this government to be claiming like a triumph, which is sort of how this is being played by government. And I think that there's certainly a lot of um, analysis that goes the other way. But I think that the overwhelming mood of the media coverage has been, yes, this is a triumph. Yes. And I guess it shows me uh, that and maybe you that the media that covers the powerful, the, that covers the prime minister and the politicians are a bit too close. They don't have that distance that says no. I mean, they did the photo op where Trudeau flew to Calgary and, you know, and it was really cringe making, I thought. I thought it was cringe making. Not enough skepticism, not enough going, actually, Canada seemed to be totally powerless in this. And to claim it as a triumph for diplomacy and to thank all the diplomats who work so hard, I think the media is completely missing the point that. Canada had no room at all to maneuver. There's no room because we're a tiny country. We are enthralled to the U.S. Our, our defense, everything is tied to the U.S. And when China has decided to go completely bald face, they call it wolf warrior diplomacy, we have no options. And I think the media went along with the liberal government's charade that look what we did. <laughs> it's kind of weird to watch it. It's very strange. Even claiming credit is strange because, of course, in this instance, President Biden kind of got our government off the hook of this really tough moral <laughs> decision of like, are you going to hand over Meng in exchange for your people? That's a terrible decision to have to make. <clears throat> and it's like, oh, uh, Biden kind of like he cut a deal with them that, you know, m makes that point moot. Yeah, we were lucky. We got lucky. And didn't have to make a tough decision. And so it's like, how are you going to then claim victory for that? But, you know, putting aside the question of like, is this a win for the Trudeau government or a loss? Just as a newsreader, I am left with huge questions. Yes. I still don't know who these guys are. Ah, uh, this is really interesting. Yeah. I've been thinking about this. Now, 
this is how China operates. And I speak from personal experience. When they decide they're going to do something, they have files on everybody in the country. For instance, when I was in China in 1972, just traveling around by myself, I was a student on my summer vacation from McGill University. Suddenly, I find myself being offered a chance to study at Peking University, the premier institution. And for a long time, I wondered, how did this happen? And after many years of experience in China, I realized this is what happened. The Chinese accepted this American Chinese kid named Erica Jen. Why? Because Erica's father led a delegation of Chinese American scientists to Beijing at a time when Beijing was maneuvering with Taiwan for being recognition as the rightful uh, seat of the Chinese government. So what were they looking for? They looked in their files and Erica was 19. I was 19. And I realized they wanted me to be a friend. I was supposed to be the official friend for this American Chinese kid. They didn't want another American because the U.S. had no diplomatic relations with China, but Canada did. That is how I got picked. So I was thinking about the two Michaels. They looked around for two Canadians after Meng Wanzhou. It took them eight days, right? But the, the Chinese would have been working at top speed to find Canadians. And they had to concoct a story of spying. These two Michaels knew each other the way many foreigners in China know each other. So many Canadians would know each other. They might have had contact. That was enough for China. One of them did business with North Korea, so he traveled around a lot. He took tours. The other one used to be a diplomat. Perfect. Perfect. And he wasn't a diplomat anymore. He had taken a leave of absence. Perfect. So China was able to weave this story of spying. They helped each other and uh, Spavor, you know, traveled around the border area, of course, with North Korea. So he was getting intelligent. He took pictures. Everyone takes pictures. So I thought it was really interesting. It took them eight days to, to cobble this together and then they grabbed them. They needed to have a story that would hold. I think it's, of course, total fiction. The other thing that I thought was interesting is when, when Michael Kovrig was released and also Spavor, they had hair right? They had hair. And it's only because Michael Kovrig went to get a haircut and it was a, it was covered that I realized he said, my head was always shaved. This is my first real haircut. Let me ask you, Jesse, how long does it take for a guy to grow about an inch of hair from nothing? Wow. Think about I've never, it. I've never measured. Uh, maybe to, to actually have like a head of hair from nothing, a couple weeks to a month, maybe? Yeah, maybe I think a month. Like I think a month, I was looking at the length of his hair. So for a month, they stopped shaving his head. So Meng Wanzhou was losing at every stage in her, her different appeals. She had really good lawyers and they kept finding new things and they kept losing. I think about a month ago, the Chinese were planning this because it would have looked terrible if the Michaels were released with prisoner haircuts, right? If they if they came out with with their heads shaved or close to it, gaunt and looking like prisoners, yeah, they didn't so. look gaunt. They must have started feeding them, and they must have stopped shaving their heads. So, but I don't know. This is just me watching him get a haircut and going, "Oh, this is so interesting." I don't know, but all of this was choreographed. 
I, look, I like the way that you look at things and analyze, but I think we are having a speculative conversation in, in an absence of facts. Mm-hmm. I have read, as mentioned before, various theories online that these guys were involved in espionage, nothing that I considered compelling or conclusive. But as a newsreader, I don't know if these guys, as you suggest, just sort of had enough circumstantial stuff in their past that they seemed like good patsies to, 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 to fill in as spies or whatever the hell else was going on. It certainly is striking to see photos of one of them with Kim Jong-un, but I just feel like there's been such a stress on just presenting these as like Joe Canada, let's feel for them, which sure, let's feel for them, uh, that I don't feel like I, I, I still don't know the full story here. That's one piece of this. I'm very much a disbeliever in this spy thing. Because of my own experience. And it's interesting when you brought that up. I mean, my time in mainland China can be measured in hours, not months like yours, but uh, or, or, or years. But um, I was there on a journalist's uh, visa in Guangzhou, pardon my pronunciation, <laughs> and was followed by police the entire time that I was yeah. there interviewing, a, you know, a, a dissident journalist. So, yeah, they're going to yeah. But like, yes, yes, they know every Canadian who's there. And, and, and if they want to take a couple people, there's probably a long list of options. Yes, Well, and I I agree. We're just speculating. We don't know. Yeah. Where this leaves us is not in a good spot as a country. um, Like, can I send an employee to China as a business owner? Can I send a reporter there? Can a business send a salesperson to China? No. I think it's very dangerous. Yeah, where does this leave us? Like, yeah. what is what is the the visa mean? What does the contract mean with those companies? Which which you know they have to serve their government more than they have to serve the law or that contract with you. Um, any Canadian on Chinese soil is potentially fair game. This is a major trading partner of Canada's, um, yeah. and the relationship is is left in the wake of this incident. In like, I don't think I could responsibly send someone or go myself or do business. You know, what are the rules now? Well, that's why this is such a significant gambit. They're gambling on people wanting to do business, that the the wealth of China is irresistible, but it's really a big risk now. And I think businesses will take a little breath and a few months later, they'll just back to business as usual because everybody wants to get rich and it's irresistible. But I think it is a truly risky Uh, venture now to send your executives into China and for journalists also. There's several journalists in detention. I mean, they don't get a lot of play because they happen to be ethnic Chinese and we have a double standard for, you know, people who are white and people who are ethnic Chinese. But it's pretty risky. And a lot of news organizations have just pulled out because China's given them so much trouble with visas. So New York Times and, and the major organizations have left. There are a lot of ethnic Chinese Canadians in detention in China right now, as I understand it. Yes, a lot. And some are drug dealers and some are are dissidents. Some are are just been grabbed for political reasons. But no one's named Michael, I guess. Yeah, that's the problem. You need to be called Michael. (laughs) Something Canadians can pronounce. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. 
It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Jan, uh, we've been doing this, you and I, time and again for, for years now. So you know that we duly note things on this show <clears throat> that we feel like people might otherwise miss. I want to duly note the New Zealand WIPA District Council's Finance and Corporate Committee. It's about time somebody duly noted. Yeah, the uh, The finance and <laughs> – yeah. Um, why the hell am I talking about a finance and corporate committee meeting from the WIPA District of New Zealand? It is because I read a delightful article about how – okay, check this out. If you go into YouTube and you search for the word meeting, the first thing that comes up is this meeting of this finance and corporate committee, a Zoom meeting from New Zealand. So um, a report has obviously been provided to you and prepared, which was our last six months performance at the end of 31st December. Now, why would you go into YouTube and search for a video about, of a meeting? And here's the answer to that. Hundreds of thousands of people have been using fake Zoom meetings. Oh. They've been putting up on their screen a fake Zoom meeting, and it looks like you're participating in the fake Zoom meeting, and then your family leaves you alone because you're doing work, but you're actually not. Oh, I love that. Or if you don't want to get bothered at work by your colleagues, you're you're in the (laughs) middle of a Zoom meeting, leave me alone. And the New Zealand WIPA District Council Finance and Corporate Committee uh, has the most popular meeting. It's been viewed over 300,000 times. It's like (laughs) the most generic meeting video you could find with people presenting their slideshow decks and just droning on about various... Various New Zealand matters. And there's just funny stories in the comments of people being like, you know, my family was buying it until my wife asked me, like, why does everyone speak with that accent? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so oh, go check it out. Great. That's great. Duly noted. What do you have? Well, mine is meeting related too. I thought I'd talk about the silver lining in COVID. We hear all about the terrible things that have been happening, but the silver lining is that you can pretend you're going to these meetings. Exactly. I didn't know about this New Zealand thing, but people go to these meetings, but they tune out. They just mute their sound and they're doing other things. They just pretend. And you can even take out your picture so they can't even see you. And so that's good. Fewer meetings. And I've been calling my contacts. I used to know so many people and a lot of them, I frankly didn't like 
But now with COVID restrictions, you just don't have to see people. You just say, well, you know, I'm not seeing so many. It's so that's perfect. But what I really like is I've become addicted to subtitled films. And this is my substitution for travel. So I saw an Icelandic series called Trapped and it's lovely. I feel like I'm in Iceland. I feel like I'm walking into their living rooms and the decor is horrible, but I get to sit down and the food looks really dreadful, but I, I'm in Iceland. And my very favorite is K-dramas, the Korean dramas. I'm totally hooked on them. Not all of them. Some of them are really stupid, but I can read subtitles with no problem. I just enjoy it so much. And I'm learning all about Korean society. Now I'm going to Korean restaurants all the time. So I know what kimchi fried rice tastes like. And I recently saw my first movie since the pandemic. I had to go see Shang-Chi, right? The Marvel superhero uh, character. Mm -hmm. And I was so shocked. He suddenly started speaking Mandarin and the subtitles just flowed. And I looked around me at the people in the audience and nobody seemed to have a problem. So I think that a lot of us are becoming much more sophisticated now because we're all trapped at home. We're watching stuff. And Netflix numbers show this, that a lot of people in Canada and the U.S. and the English-speaking world are totally adapting to subtitled films. So that's my duly noted. Wow. I have have a few responses to that. I guess the first is that I'm glad I made the cut since you've been culling your contact list. Um, (laughs) So. Thanks for that. No, you, you'll uh, always make the cut, Jesse. Thank you. I also feel, and perhaps maybe this is why I made the cut, a little freaked out that we both had meeting-related duly noteds without, yeah. we didn't share notes with each yeah. other beforehand. So uh, there's some kind of mind meld happening. Finally, I want to remark on, it, it seems like simultaneously you're becoming antisocial and cutting off uh, contacts with people <laughs> and... and and, you know, not going to meetings and not interacting with people and yet becoming more expansive and worldly through the use of subtitles. All of this is fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I didn't think of that. I've always been antisocial. I have to fake it. As a journalist, you have to fake being charming. And I know when I'm not working, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to sit at a table with anybody else. I think I like COVID. But I don't I don't want people to be dead. Don't get me wrong. But I like this kind of closing in of the world a little bit. Ah, no more lunch with Jan. Yeah, I don't have to smile and interview people over lunch. Well, duly noted. I, I, I have one more. I have one final one here. Uh, the news just kind of came in, as reported by Ricochet. Ferry Creek injunction struck down by B.C. Supreme Court. The court found that the RCMP's method of enforcing the injunction violated civil liberties and press freedom and brought the court into disrepute. Yay! You know, we just did this report a few weeks ago about how, like, nothing is working here. When we report on police brutality, something's mm-hmm. supposed to happen. Yeah. They're supposed to, you know, and, and something did happen here. And it's hard not to view this as a victory of the press because the reason why the court struck this down is that the way that the RCMP's thuggery has been violating people's civil liberties, the judge ruled, brought the court into disrepute. Well, how do we know what's happened to their reputation? We know because Ricochet was there and because uh, the Narwhal was there and we've been reporting from CBC's, but, but everyone had to endure a lot of uh, violations to journalists, violations of, of press freedom in order to shine a light on the reputation of the RCMP as affected by their actions there. And the courts. Yeah, really good. That's a very good victory. 
It is. And basically, and this is a summary from privacy lawyer David Fraser, the way that the RCMP enforced the court's order, this injunction, it, uh, that's what allowed the RCMP to be there as opposed to provincial cops. It was, you know, there was a court injunction. So mm-hmm. then the RCMP could go there. And the way that the RCMP were doing that brought not just the RCMP into disrepute, but the court. Right. That, you know, it's like we can't police the police. There's no mechanism for policing the police. And that's putting a stain on the entire court. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, they're quashing the injunction. And the police went home, Jan. They left Fairy wow. Creek. Wow. Well, it brought the court into disrepute because it's the court's injunction. And so the way that police were enforcing it brought that injunction into disrepute. So they took off the injunction. Wow. That's great. But I remember seeing footage of some cop yelling at some young reporter just saying, you can't ask me anything. You ask me a question, I'm going to like grab you. And it's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Where are we? You can't ask a question. Oh, so that's wonderful news. That's great. I didn't know that. That just broke. That's great. And it ain't necessarily over. It's still illegal to block a road. Mm-hmm. But if Teal Jones, the logging company, wants to do anything about it now, I guess they got to go appeal to the province. Mm-hmm. And how the province uh, chooses to enforce acts of civil disobedience, which, you know, in B.C., as I understand it, the, the attorney general is not really interested in, in, in prosecuting. It ain't necessarily over, but it might be over. And it's so interesting because, you know, the way they tried to stop the protesters and the journalists in, in this instance compared to the way the anti-vaxxers can line up outside hospitals and scream at cancer patients and nobody intervenes. So the contrast is so stark. So I, I'm glad the courts ruled this way. Duly noted. Jan, I'm really, like, concerned about this thing that happened. A bunch of journalists were just doing their fucking jobs Mm -hmm. after the People's Party of Canada took 5.1% of the popular vote and 800,000 Canadians voted for them. And uh, the result of that also meaning that the People's Party of Canada is going to get a ton of federal money to build their party out. A bunch of journalists were following up on a completely legitimate line of inquiry. The group Anti-Hate Canada has documented all kinds of connections, not just between People's Party of Canada supporters and various racist movements, but members, candidates, organizers, infrastructure people from the People's Party of Canada. It is okay. It just might be part of your job to go to the People's Party of Canada and go on their website and go to the press contact page and doing your job as a reporter say, hey, there are people who have concerns about some of the connections your party Mm -hmm. has. Mm -hmm. And out of a sense of basic journalistic practice and fairness, do you have a response? Will you come and give us an interview or just respond to these concerns or talk about this? And the way that the leader of that party... Maxime Bernier responded was he went to Twitter and he said, check out the offensive requests we've received yesterday and today from far left activists masquerading as journalists. We tell them to get lost. If you want to write to these idiots to tell them what you think of their disgusting smear jobs, (laughs) here are their email addresses. Mm. They want to play dirty. We will play dirty too. (laughs) And he, he then published their work email addresses. And I don't think I can tell the story without telling what happened next, which mm-hmm. is really, really predictable. 
This is one that Amar Khan of Global News received. He received an email that read, I hope that all propagandists like you get brutally raped before being lynched and strung up. Remember, kill yourself before the enemy. Here's some other things. It seems that a lot of Amr Khan supporters are also Taliban and ISIS supporters, and others are the extreme radical Islam. There are other, and, and, and which journalists were assigned to go and send these questions? A story about mm-hmm. racism. Who gets assigned the racism story? Mm-hmm. A lot of women of color were put on that story, and they got emails from Maxim Bernier's followers. I'm not going to sugarcoat the language. They were called traitors. They were called cunts. They were uh, called ungrateful anti-Western. Ungrateful. That's interesting. What should they be grateful for? Ungrateful anti-Western bigots. I think that those messages, those outcomes are entirely predictable, that Bernier absolutely knew that that was going to happen. And when you encourage thousands of followers to play dirty with the press— I think that that abuse of hostile language is the least of what can be reasonably expected. Right. When you say go play dirty with these reporters. It's very dangerous because you will get some net bar who won't just send those horrible emails, but they'll go and actually do something physical. They could actually physically hurt the journalists. I mean, it's unleashing the violence, verbal and physical violence on journalists. You know, the funny thing is, of course, it just proves what the journalists were trying to get a comment on. They were trying to ask, so you have links to the Nazis and what's your comment? And this is his response. So he actually proved it for them. But the thing about receiving this kind of hate mail, and I have been on the end of it, and I I was reading it all because I thought it was part of my job and it plunged me into a clinical depression for the first time. It's very serious. And I don't know if the media organizations understand how serious this can affect their staff. Journalists need to have some kind of managerial organization that takes care of their social media for the time that this is happening and assign somebody else to look at it and filter it. Because a journalist cannot be off their social media. They must be on, but they can't read all this and not be affected you think you, you're strong and you think you're okay, but you won't be okay. So I hope that in the newsrooms, people are not just, you know, going, oh, well, it's expected and that that's a good story and let's cover it. I think we have to cover it. But I think Paramount is protecting your staff uh, reporters. You've, you've got to understand this is serious. It's kind of a new level too, right, to have a party leader do this to journalists. It's, it's really another step down the path of towards fascism for this party. I think it's beyond what Trump has done. I know that Trump, like at a rally, kind of uh, sicked his or like excused violence against protesters and demonstrators. And, you know, he would often point to the press and vilify them and dehumanize them. We've seen this playbook before, but the specific thing that Bernier did here, like here are these three reporters, here's their contact information, go get them. Mm-hmm. I don't think that even Trump did that. No, Trump was Trump was terrible. Trump was really bad, too, with uh, journalists. And, I mean, the New York Times had to hire security. Yeah, I, I think that Trump is, I, I know you really love Trump and you want to protect him and, you know, enhance his reputation. I think he was just as bad. I think Bernier is, is just a mini Trump. He's a Trump wannabe. Yeah, I agree totally that this is right from the Trump playbook. And, you know, yes, I'm always trying to, of course, clean up Trump's image. That goes without saying. But but first of all, so much to say about this. Um, 
Should we cover it? Should we cover this? Yeah. Yeah. You say that Bernie is proving his point. I agree. And there's no greater proof of that than what happened next. Uh, it's just a little detail here, but it's very revealing. So, you know, Bernier is saying that, like, these questions themselves are so offensive and such evidence of the activism of the press that it justifies not only, like, I'm not going to talk to you, you, like, you're blocked, you're blacklisted, I'm not answering your questions. And, and you know, a basic tenet of democracy, which is that if, if you want to be a public elected figure, you are accountable to the press. Mm-hmm. I'm not accountable to you. You're a radical activist. And I'm going to sick my legions against you. Mm-hmm. And Bernier would say, with emails, so, you know, toughen up, it's not physical. You know, and, and it's all about whether he's a racist or not and how offensive an idea that is. Then he goes on the National Post's Post Media podcast full comment with Anthony Fury and in a softball interview Fury asks him the exact same question in fairness to them I do want to put that question to you then because these questions have been put forward allegations about your party racism anti-immigrant positions how do you respond to that yeah first of all they tried that in the 2019 election Uh, it's not that that question is so offensive to Bernier it's that Anthony Fury is a friendly sympathetic reporter and a white guy asking that mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. And so Bernier does not refuse to answer, does not sick his legions on Anthony Fury. It's not just that asking him that question merits that response. It's if you happen to be a person of color from a distrusted news organization, that's what gets you mm-hmm. that attack. So so Bernier's really racist. He's really racist. It's okay if he can pal around with another white guy who's friendly and he doesn't take it the offense. But if if a, a person of color asks him, he's gotten a double standard. So I think you have to cover it. You can't just say, no, we're not going to give him any oxygen. He did it. You have to cover it. It's not an option, but you have to protect your staff. You can't let them just say, oh, it's just emails. And you, you might have to hire security outside your newsroom, which is very expensive. But that's what happens when you have to report on someone like Maxime Bernier. And I, I think it's it's good for people to see this is not our personal problem. Oh, we shouldn't tell the public, toughen up. No, no, no. This is part of democracy. If you have leaders like this, if you have government institutions like this, you need to report on it. The journalist problems are not just the journalist problems. This is democracy's problem. So I think you have to report on it. You're giving me a lot to think about. We're reporting on it, right? Uh, And the specific thing that he is refusing to speak to, which is we're going to look at these connections and try to figure out what they mean. And we have a reporter on that. But uh, how we're going to protect that reporter from the outcome is something that uh, we've put some thought towards. But uh, you're giving me some ideas as to to, to discuss with them about, about how else. We've seen this play out. This is old news, like like everything else that hits Canada five years later. So what are our options? You can ignore, right, which is uh, let's not give them any oxygen, let's ignore. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. That's that's not an option, right? 800,000 Canadians. And and I'll say this. We need to report on this for the benefit of many of those 800,000 Canadians because I don't think that all PPC voters know this stuff, right? I agree. I agree. What are the connections that this party has? What do they mean? Are they meaningful or not? And it does become difficult to be perceived as fairly engaging with that question when he has placed us in an adversarial position. Like he has declared war on the press a la Trump. We are his enemy. So now I think that one of the problems with covering is like, okay, we're going to cover this, but let's be extra super special careful to be fair and objective and perform 
our objectivity and fairness because he's cast us as just because we're cast as his enemy. We have to make sure that we don't look like his. I don't know if you need to do that. I don't know if you need to give him extra special soft white glove treatment. I don't think so. I think he's, he's I agree. the same as you would cover Trudeau. I don't think because he's called you, you know, left wing radical you, that you are extra careful. No, no, no. I don't think so. You use your same regular standards of reporting just to bring this back to China. It, it was the same thing that China always tried to label the foreign correspondents as hostile, you know, agents of Western powers. And you, you can't get into playing their mind game. You have to remember you're the journalist. What are your values? What are your standards of reporting? And you don't need to have special ones for Maxime Bernier. There's a bit of a bifurcation here. If he's declaring war on us, if uh, in the course of just doing their jobs, reporters are going to have their lives ruined or, you know, severely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, afflicted, Mm -hmm. then I think that from, you know, the publisher's office and from the industry, to the extent that we work together as an industry, we have to, and in this case, we have the Canadian Association of Journalists and I think for the first time ever, like CBC and other news organizations came out with statements Mm -hmm. about, um, we oppose this this uh, call to action. Mm-hmm. We oppose what you're doing. We are against you. But then on, on the level of the reporters, the reporters have to just treat this like information to report like any other. That's right. There is a bifurcation. Yeah. So we, we, we got to get our act together and learn from what happened in the States. And finally, to learn from what happened in the States, where's Twitter in this? I mean, they kicked Trump off, but it took them far too long, far too long. to do so. Bernier, they put him on ice for 12 hours until he deleted those tweets. He hasn't apologized or retracted that call to arms. Let's go go play dirty with him. He just deleted those tweets so he could get his Twitter account back. And and then actually in French, he went right back to attacking the press and dehumanizing them. So what what is Cam Gordon at Twitter waiting for? What does Bernier have to do now that he's shown that he can actually like launch an attack on specific individual reporters? I have no problem problem with Twitter just taking this guy's account away. Exactly. And I think by covering what Bernier is doing on Twitter, it will put pressure on the business organization called Twitter to not just uh, suspend him for 12 hours, that he could get permanently suspended. If the media covers how Bernier is using Twitter as a weapon to threaten journalists, and and sick his supporters on journalists, I think he could get dumped. I think they just did a preliminary, you know, 12 hour suspension. But if he does this and he uses Twitter and the media covers the way he's doing it, I think he will be kicked off. They, yes, I agree. They took far too long to kick Trump off because, you know, he was the president of the United States. But look at what happened. No one pays him any attention now because Twitter was really so powerful. And now he's in the weeds, you know, he's in the Florida swamps, but he's not in front of mind for a lot of people anymore. It's quite something how that one figure was like psychological. You had to grapple with him and the things that he said every day for for like four or five years. And now he's just like vanished because and it really does. It does show you how much he is a creature of these social media platforms. Yes, it does. And I personally feel like this vice has been taken off my head. I never followed him, but of course everybody would retweet and I had to read it and I don't want to read it. I don't, and it was amplifying him. And I think, you know, I said that Bernier is a mini Trump and I think he will uh, meet the same fate as Trump, not too far in the future. If he keeps doing this with Twitter, he's going to get kicked off, which will be good. I still feel like, 
the fact that he is a uh, fringe party demagogue and not the leader of the conservatives, which he almost was, is a massive distinction between the Canadian and the American situation. That's uh, true. I, so I still feel like a wariness as a publisher, like I don't want to give too much attention to these guys because I don't think that they're going to form government ever. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that that movement is exactly the same as it was in the States. Um, and That's it hasn't true. been legitimized hasn't been laundered through uh, through a, a legitimate party the same well, way. Well, the media in the U.S. gave Trump a lot of attention because, you know, basically he sold newspapers, he sold ads. So it was a, a pact with the devil. And frankly, I hate to tell you this, Jesse, but I don't think you're going to get rich covering Bernier. That's your shortcuts. Thank you, Jan. I can be emailed, everybody, at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand, and our website is canadaland.com, where there is a fascinating interview between Fatima Sayed and a People's Party of Canada supporter. It's a great conversation that is worth everyone's time. Jan, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter, and my handle is at... Writer Wong. Get it? Right or wrong? It's Writer Wong. I have been tweeting you for years and never got that until just now. You didn't get it? Oh, I'm so disappointed. Okay. Jesse. Right or wrong. Right or wrong. <laughs> of course. This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music to this show is by So-Called and syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you want to receive ad-free versions and t-shirts and all kinds of stuff, uh, please support us. Go to canadaland.com slash join or click on the link in the show notes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.